0: Rural hospital CEOs come from a variety of backgrounds finance, patient care, education, physician leadership, and more. So, how does a former school administrator, court official, and law enforcement executive become the president and CEO of an independent rural hospital?
1: Well, Rachel, with a lot of prayer, grit, and a top notch team right by my side. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.G. Hutchire.
0: And this is Rural Health Rising. So, JJ, you didn't know this until you walked into the studio five minutes ago because your illustrious producer didn't tell you, but you are our guest today. Welcome to Real Health Rising, JJ. We're so glad to have you.
1: Rachel, I was so disappointed to see that (laughs) on the sheet here because it is my least favorite subject, believe it or not, even though I can talk a mile a minute and lots of things to say, um, I really don't like to talk about myself, but uh, I did force you to talk to uh, producers at Simply Hers, and you did, mm-hmm. you know, obviously. know, obviously
0: You made me go on the cover of a magazine. I did. I did. So this so, is this, this is, is payback. payback. Yep.
1: Okay. Absolutely. I'll, I'll take it.
0: So, well, and I think it's going to be good for our listeners because I felt like, you know, we talked to Bill Ox here in episode 18 about CEO and leadership burnout in rural hospitals, but we didn't talk as much about how do those individuals become CEOs in the first place. Um, and we conveniently have someone right here at Hillsdale Hospital who can give us some insight onto uh, what it means to take on this huge job, and what does it take to become a CEO? And you have a pretty diverse background in, in your career prior to healthcare, so I think it's going to be interesting to hear a little bit of that journey, and for our listeners to understand. You know, in a rural environment, it is not uncommon to have very diverse backgrounds with some of your. Um, staff and your team, which I think is an asset because you can bring learnings from other industries and things like that in. So all of that said, um, we're going to start with the same thing that you ask every guest. I'm going to ask you, JJ, what is your why? What motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning?
1: Well, Rachel, thanks for the opportunity to be here on your program today. (laughs) Uh, yeah I'm typically kind of I would say our over. program, yes, you know i I want to go back to your original statement though, if I could, so mm-hmm. you know you did indicate that we have hired individuals with diverse backgrounds. I really want to address that aspect at first because we have brought people here, I have specifically outside of the healthcare arena,
0: right,
1: you know, I brought my director of human resources had no healthcare experience whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Uh, She came to us uh, from an environment of manufacturing and higher education, uh, having worked at a college and then uh, for larger manufacturing companies as their human resources officer. Uh, And we've brought in John Robertson, chief quality Mm -hmm. officer uh, for this hospital with no healthcare, traditional healthcare, public health uh, experience. And so When we look at the diversity of this environment here for senior leadership, I look around the table and I see people who are not uh, born and raised in the healthcare system. And that's healthy for me. Right. Because we have different perspectives. Mm -hmm. You know, what we often find when we do lean events and other things, we come into the environment, everybody has their preconceived ideas. They have the notions, well, that's how we've done it for 25 years, J.J., just like that in that uh, voice. And so uh, I, I break those barriers down and say, well, we'll go through the five why method. Why? Why have we done it that way? Well, because we, why? And what we find is it's because all that they have known. Right, And so bringing outside industries in has been powerful for us um, because it's a different dynamic. You know, mm-hmm. Stacy brought us manufacturing. What did manufacturing, uh, what What are they well known for? Lean process improvement. Right. Because this was, it goes back to the time of Toyota. Uh, it goes back to a time and an era uh, when we were building cars uh, mm-hmm. in, in our nation mm-hmm. and they created what's called, you know, Gimbas and stop the lines. And uh, basically, how can we improve the process so we can ensure that the quality is, is just superior. Mm -hmm. And so what we find is that if we translate some of those same techniques, some of those same philosophies, and some of those work uh, efforts through uh, those initiatives to healthcare, it's the same outcome. We're improving process. Right. And so whether it's improving the process and making sure that the part on the other end uh, is 100 percent accurate and right, ensuring that the healthcare delivery of services is 100 percent is also very, very critical. So bringing manufacturing here has been a godsend for our hospital, because we're looking at things differently. Right. We're having those discussions. We're meeting in these rooms for hours and hours and days talking about processes. And we've not always done that. So I, I want to preface you know, what you had said with the fact that I think it's a good thing when we look outside the healthcare industry and bring in uh, individuals who have experience in other service areas right. in, in our community, I think that's very important. And even on a national basis, uh, bringing individuals in who have limited experience but may be well in finance or may do well in you know mm-hmm. other areas that are important to healthcare uh, in those segments. Now, you would bring a nurse in who has fifteen or twenty years of nursing experience absolutely right when we start talking about processes and improvements and quality and finance those mm-hmm. take on a different role uh, that we can look outside the organization so for me, I do want to give you know a clarifying statement. I served ten years as a chief operating officer in various roles, having hired in here right. as a director of organizational development. So I didn't just leap into right. you know the CEO role. I was prepared for it, mm-hmm. uh, which was very very good. Um, I had the opportunity uh, to transition to healthcare about eleven years ago, well over eleven years ago now, and I didn't know that I would end up in healthcare. I was approached by the then CEO Duke Anderson, who said, "I need some help building my organization." and growing it and i need some some help staffing i need some help uh, setting up leadership development and so uh, those were all the areas that i really had a passion for and so through that process of growing and mentoring uh, under him and leadership you know i was able to uh, obviously learn some traits and skills that were very important to make a ceo successful in healthcare. so all of that to say what is my why Regardless of where it is, whether it's here in healthcare or if it's in any industry I've ever served, I like serving people. I get up every morning thinking about how do we improve processes. How do we serve people? I believe fundamentally that the most important thing for a leader is not all about me, but it's how can I serve my people? And servant leadership is, there's many think, uh, experts have written about it, many uh, seminars, many books, and and self-help tips about how to become a servant leader. But at the basis of it, you have to have a desire in your heart to want to serve others. And that's where I am today. I get up every day loving my job. There's never been a day believe it or not in the industry I've ever served Uh, while we have hard days, that I've ever said to myself, I hate this, Mm -hmm. I don't like my job, why am I doing this? I've never questioned that. Uh, I've actually enjoyed every opportunity in every industry. And I think regardless if you're in education, law enforcement, healthcare, it's it's working with people. Mm -hmm. It's that intrinsic value of helping someone who needs help. And I find regardless of what the industry is, if you apply those basic precepts, of, of treating others with dignity and respect, helping them foster their leadership potential. Mm-hmm. That's my job. My job is to surround myself with very good people mm-hmm. so that I'm successful. And right. I've been very successful at doing that my whole career, is looking at successful people, bringing them on board, mm-hmm. because we're all successful. The organization thrives. My leadership thrives. I'm not a leader that sits around the table and has to be the loudest, the guy that's most hurt. In fact, you know from experience in serving in senior leadership with me, I'm consensus driven.
0: Mm-hmm. I like
1: to sit around the table, have discussions. What's your input? What's your thought? I don't dictate. Right um, Now, if there's a time where I have to make a decision, absolutely. I can make decisions, right? but what I like to do is have that feedback. So what gets me up in the morning is the excitement of the people around me that I see every day on their face. They're excited to come to work. Why? The product that we're delivering here in healthcare is saving lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, how much more excitement could you have in right. coming into a place where you know that the policies that you create, uh, that the processes you put in place are saving lives or improving the quality of life for someone's health. I mean, to me, that is incredible. Um, I get up out of bed knowing that I have a family that loves me. I get up out of bed knowing that I have a great leadership team. Uh, And one of the most important things for me that I recognize, and this is where leaders go wrong, in my opinion, I think leaders think, oh, I'm going to have this forever. I never look at any of my jobs as having it forever. In fact, Mm -hmm. I look at at a very small window that God has blessed me with a certain amount of time. And for such a time as this, I have X amount of things to do and I'm entrusted with this leadership position, but it's not forever. The problem with CEOs that I've ran into in my career who are authoritative and they're dictatorial uh, in nature these are individuals that think they're unmovable unshakable these are individuals that uh, feel like they're going to be in that position of power forever and let me tell you something it does not happen mm-hmm. I've worked in court settings where I've watched a judge who uh, ended up uh, passing away from uh, emphysema a great mentor of mine uh, but let me tell you something it was very difficult to make the transition from judgeship to normal life and mm-hmm. and some people can't do that because it's I'm always going Going to be in power and you think about those positions and those people in those positions they they lose perspective. Mm-hmm. Every day I thank God that I have a job and I and I come to work understanding that I've got to make today better than yesterday. I've got to work harder than yesterday and we're not hearing much of that today are we? No today's philosophy is almost less work you know you shouldn't it shouldn't take you 34 to 40 hours to do your job, really? Here's what I've been—I've been raised on hard work Mm -hmm. all of my life. We grew up extremely poor. We did not have electricity at times. We did not have food at times. I know what the value of work is. I know what it brings back to me. A sense of fulfillment and the opportunity to come to a place like Hillsdale Hospital— uh, to share my talents and my gifts that God has given me, and I firmly believe that, and and to put those on the table, and then to surround myself with good people who are of like mind, that we want to see processes change, we want to see improvement, and to surround myself with those good people and to see them grow. You know, my my idea of someone's longevity is maybe two, three, four, five, six years, and then they go on to something bigger and better because mm-hmm. they've received that education and that training and, and rooted in leadership, and that now they're leading organizations. Organizations. That's a mark of a good leader. A good leader mm-hmm. isn't by saying, well, I've completed 37 years as the CEO or the XYZ really. What has that longevity gotten mm-hmm. you? Uh, and so just to base it off longevity, absolutely not. The measurables are how well are you treating your leaders and what are your outcomes? You know, outcomes can be measured in healthcare. They're measured in, in quality assessments, and, but outcomes can be measured in any industry. And to get to the table as the leader is a lot of responsibility. Someone once wrote a letter to me that said, okay, you're in charge now. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. Mm-hmm. And I never really thought about that until I thought about it and <laughs> thought, oh, my goodness you know, I've heard the expression, but it's true. Mm-hmm. You know, I go to bed every night with lots of concerns and worries and, and thoughts, and I yield those to God in prayer and say, all right, I, I mm-hmm. can't do this. And sometimes and then, to email. To email late at night. <laughs> sometimes I know. you
0: got to just dump it. Get you it do. in an email and get it out.
1: Absolutely. And then we come back in and we solve the problem. Mm-hmm. And so that's, to me, that's leadership is understanding for this small amount of time. Rachel, you know, life happens fast. Right. You know, I've watched family die this year, last year. You know, uh, we've watched people here become very ill and life happens so quickly. And so what we think is long-term tenure, is, is really not in the grand scheme of things, right? And so we have to look at this small window of time that we've been entrusted to our positions to make this place better than when I found it and to make it better when I leave. And so to understand, to take it to the next level, as you would say, mm-hmm. uh, in healthcare requires a lot of work, especially from what we've faced in the past year.
0: Right. So with that said, I feel like that gives us a really good understanding of your philosophy and your approach to leadership you probably haven't, you know, you haven't known all these things and had this approach for your whole life, right? You've you've put it into practice over time in your career. So let's start at the beginning. Let's go way back, like three years ago when you graduated college. Oh, Just nice.
1: <laughs> You're so kind to me. That yes, is awesome. Yeah. yeah. So,
0: but we'll go back uh, yeah. a number of years ago. Sure. We don't know the number. We don't need to know, the number. Need to know the number. Um, I'm and only you... 46
1: for the record. Okay. <laughs> all
0: right. So you graduate from Hillsdale College. Yeah. You have your bachelor's degree. What do you do the next day? What happens after that?
1: Well, it started before I graduated. Uh, I actually uh, was the youngest serving administrator uh, for a small. Christian school. I was um, set aside uh, as a uh, ordained minister, uh, and we say set aside. What that means is, is basically I'm under tutelage of the, mm-hmm. of the senior pastor. And this was a Christian school, and I had the opportunity to become an administrator uh, to work with closely. Uh, I was a board uh, chairman. How it worked at the time is uh, this: the church board appoints you to the school board. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so I had a great opportunity, even while I was in college. Wow! To serve this incredible role mm-hmm. uh, and to learn. Uh, and uh, someone has always said, "Oh, you're an old soul." Uh, there's a part of me that's probably that old soul, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And so in college, you know, I was working. I was given the opportunity uh, through a program of the college to actually uh, work at the court systems here mm-hmm. in Hillsdale, and I took that. Uh, on and upon graduating from the court systems, uh, excuse me, graduating from Hillsdale College, um, I continued my my time at the court mm-hmm. and worked uh, for chief of staff uh, for the judge of of circuit court.
0: And were you still working with the school at that point? No, or were I, you was, just, I was. I okay. was done. Yep.
1: Now I'm just entering my career, not really mm-hmm. knowing what it is. Where do I want to be? Where do I want to land? Right. Uh, knowing at that time that I had several segways that I wanted to go into, I uh, thought at that time, you know, I wanted to enter politics. Too young for that, not enough experience. But future state, yes, I wanted to. Uh, and then really looking at, did I want to enter the Secret Service mm-hmm. uh, or the FBI? And started that process uh, when I was still working at the court systems. Uh, the current sheriff at the time came to me and said, I need some help. Uh, I have a situation here where my undersheriff is, is passing away. Uh, he had mm-hmm. cancer, and I need some assistance. And um, you know, would you be willing to help me? I said, oh, I can do anything for six months, for a year. Um, Ten years later, uh, (laughs) I found myself uh, in a position uh, where I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, rewriting uh, writing policy and uh, moving, you know, programs uh, in our county, uh, protecting seniors, protecting uh, school-aged children, writing uh, millions of dollars in grants uh, mm-hmm. for the county, uh, and really just found my niche in working with people and processes uh, and in leadership. And then it wasn't uh, until about 2009 and 2010 that Duke Anderson, the CEO at the time, I was on the membership corporation of the board here, So it's a membership corporation board. It's not the board of trustees. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Duke Anderson came to me and said, listen, I've watched you for the last 10 years. Uh, I've seen your work. Um, I want to hire you. And I thought to myself, what in the world is this guy going to do in healthcare? You know, I'm going to run for Congress for crying out loud. I'm not going to do this. Uh, And took the challenge. Uh, after bathing it in prayer and spending about a year and a half talking to Duke about what this could be and and making sure it was the right fit, Mm -hmm. uh, and then giving ample notice uh, to my boss at the time. So I came here to healthcare, and I tell you, it is by far one of the best uh, jobs I've ever held. It Mm -hmm. really is. Uh, The dynamic um, environment, uh, the opportunity that no day is the same, uh, is really what drives me coming mm-hmm. in uh, from anywhere from, you know, at the time of operations. So I was in charge of um, organizational development, mm-hmm. uh, leading the leaders, training the leaders. I was in charge of staff education, I was in charge of human resources, uh, really just working with people mm-hmm. and found that to be, you know, an area that I loved the most. And and, and my point is, is, in all of this, it doesn't matter what is before or after name? It doesn't matter you know what your title is. Um, for me, it doesn't. You know what defines a leader is you know, your character, and that character is de- it to me is moral character. it's mm-hmm. It's having a sense about you that has that you're driven by something greater than yourself. And I've always really practiced that regardless of what industry. And so came here in twenty ten. Uh, and have been here now for eleven years well over eleven eleven years and two months uh, and and have you know promoted through the ranks uh, here at the hospital moving from director to officer to mm-hmm. to um, vice president then to a CEO uh, where it's the same it's the same JJ that I was when I started on June 1st of 2010. Uh, in, in who I am and mm-hmm. I believe when we look at that it's important to understand it's temporal that I'm here that all of us are temporal uh, that we have a select job to do in a very small window to leave this place better and so uh, my journey as, as it may sound different or dynamic or it may have different aspects like wow jumping from this to this um, it really when you're working with people it doesn't matter what industry you're in mm-hmm. whether you're leading teachers or leading police or leading uh, you know here at the hospital nursing professionals and leaders, it doesn't matter. It's leadership as leadership, and and it's how you apply moral leadership. In my case, in each of those industries, what defines you? Mm-hmm. It's not the title or the position that comes to define you,
0: right? And I think some of your well, and for every leader, a, a part of their leadership style is a part of who they are, right? But you also have an education specifically in. Organizational development, is that right? Is that your yeah, master's organizational, organizational leadership? Leadership? Yep. leadership. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that and how that education helped to strengthen your the the kind of skills you are developing and the foundation you had. When did you do that? First of all, when did you get your master's degree, and how did that experience help you in what you're doing now?
1: Well, first, uh, graduating Hillsdale College with a bachelor's degree in political economy, Mm -hmm. politics, and economics, a minor in classics, Latin and Greek, uh, and Loved my experience at Hillsdale College. Understood that I wanted to get more in the poli sci area, but also wanted the economic side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so had that opportunity for that major at the time, uh, and then started the the work history that I've already explained. When I came to Hillsdale Hospital and sitting down with my current CEO at the time, Duke Anderson, he made it very clear to me that in order to succeed in healthcare, you have to have an advanced degree in something relative to healthcare, mm-hmm. um, and in my particular case at the time. As I was developing people and and uh, managers and leading, um, I really wanted to look at a program that would be organizational leadership mm-hmm. uh, and administration. And so uh, it took two years. It was a very difficult uh, training program. Uh, through it, I also became a certified manager, which is a six month long course to become a CM, uh, and that was also as part of my master's program. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really, you know, found uh, found the the curriculum to be very very engaging and really um, when i look at it for what i was able to bring back to the hospital uh, a considerable amount of information and leadership and how to drive teams and processes and change but also a lot of growth internally for me mm-hmm. you know i early on in my my years i i kind of ruled by authoritarian okay uh, and it was because do it because i have the rank and you mm-hmm. better do it and and I've learned so much since that time that uh, it's not anything about that. It's about servant leadership. Um, it's it's about serving others. It's not mm-hmm. about me being served, and it's not about me always being right, and it's not about do it because I said to do it. You know, that's not. You'll never get. You'll never get long term loyalty as a result of that. Right. Uh, people will just respect the position. They'll never respect the person. Mm-hmm. How do you get someone to respect the person? Is building those. You know, those very important relationships, um, investing in someone's life, sitting down with them for 20 or 30 minutes saying, how are you? How are the family? And and I've always done that uh, here mm-hmm. as a leader and transitioned my leadership style when I came here. And then when I went through the training program, it really just opened my eyes to here's how you become an effective leader. Mm-hmm. And we studied, you know, everyone from, you know, the the thinkers of the day, you know, in leadership and Stephen Covey and the list goes on and on and uh, read books and, and, and wrote papers. And uh, but we had you
0: a frog. You moved your cheese. We did. did Yeah, we did it all.
1: Yeah. (laughs) We, you know, climbed the rope. We did ring the bell. We didn't ring the bell. That's make your bed. But uh, you don't want (laughs) to ring the bell when you make your bed. But ultimately did all of that. And then I came back to the hospital, uh, with that renewed sense of passion to build my people. And so what I did is I launched a leadership training program for all the managers. So if mm-hmm. you're a manager a supervisor at the hospital, at the time we had 46 of them, I put them through a boot camp. We went out to Camp Shindo. We spent several days out there. We went through a training program, trust programs. We brought in you know national speaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and And I did that every year two or three times a year. Uh, because I wanted to build our team. Because without the team, we have a problem. And right. this is what happens with corporate America or any organization—they lose that teamwork approach, and it becomes very, very insular to those those people and to my department. And that's a problem. And and so what I want to do is break those barriers, and uh, we we did that. We successfully did that, and we've we've been successful at having around the table today uh, in 2021. The people that want to be at the table. Mm -hmm. And there was misguided individuals here that, you know, we didn't want at the table and and they chose to leave, which they Mm -hmm. should have, Mm -hmm. um, because this was not the place for them. And that's not saying they're bad people. It's just saying this wasn't a fit. Right. And we wanted people around the table that would contribute. uh, And that was a long process. To, to go through that uh, because we had to do assessments and we had to engage in training. And mm-hmm. I would hear repeatedly people, and those people aren't here anymore, but those people would be, I don't want to read a book. I don't, why do we have to read these books? Well, it's called growth.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I'm happy at my job. Well, that's important. But guess what? You're leading other people. You're going to learn how to be a leader. And that's right. tough. Well, I know how to be a leader. I've been doing it for 40 years, J.J., no, actually, your evaluations from the man and from your staff aren't right. very good. And the 360s that we launched for the first time ever at Hillsdale Hospital, you know, we had some we had some progress that needed to be made. Mm-hmm. And we did that. And we turned this thing around. And I'm very, very proud of that. But in all of that, to answer your question, you know, education will take you so far. Uh, And then you have to put it to practice. Mm -hmm. And some of the most brilliant people in the world that I know lack some of that leadership ability because they can't channel it. Uh, They're great people. They're smart. but, But being able to channel that to build a team is really what I've sought to do here at Hillsdale. Uh, And I've built teams before in other industries, but this is really where the rubber met the road for me is really that leadership, organizational development, and how to really get the team to function. And what's the end result? It isn't for satisfaction of me or that I'm great. It's because I'll get the note, which I have before, four or five years later, thank you for investing in us. Mm -hmm. I had someone wrote, wrote to me last year saying, I never understood why you had to read all those books until... I took this job as an X, Y, Z leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those are powerful stories, right? And those are the things that are most important to me as a leader. And that's when I get my aha moment. That's when I know what I did was appropriate, was right, uh, because leadership is tough. I mean, mm-hmm. Colin Powell says uh, leadership is hell. And, <laughs> uh, you know, and that leadership is hell because we go through hell every right. day because you have to remember while there's just one segment of of leadership for for mentoring your staff, there's The other side of it, there's the customer side of it, and Mm -hmm. then there's the complaint side of it, and and there's all of these things that you have to marriage, a board of trustees and, and staff and, you know, raises and fair market wages and all of these things that come into play and making sure that you're meeting your accreditations, and there's just such a tremendous dynamic to leadership that if you don't have it here in your heart first and you're not a moral leader and you're not a servant leader, you'll never get it right. I firmly believe that.
0: Right. So you touched on this a little bit but you know there's a difference between leaders who are focused on authority versus influence and i think what what you're talking about is having influence not channeling authority in a very dictatorial manner, right? So with that, I'm sure we have some people listening today who maybe are thinking, okay, maybe I'm a little more authoritative Mm -hmm. and less, you know, influential than I want to be. What are some of the, the ways that you have found um, have allowed you to build your influence beyond the leaders that you mm-hmm. lead, because you ultimately also lead the organization as a whole. So when it comes to you know your leaders that report to you directly, the senior leadership team, but then there's the management team who report up through senior leadership right. and then all of our frontline staff. So how do you build influence with the entire organization? Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's not at the same level as with your leaders, but it's important.
1: Yeah, I mean, at the leader level, it's more intimate. It's it's more everyday, several times a week, coaching, mentoring, um, and and I'm I'm a leader who I let you do your job, mm-hmm. uh, and we have planning sessions and we talk it through and we bounce ideas. Um, you know, I not, I have not always served in that role. You know, in the paramilitary organization, uh, you're dic- dictatorial in nature because it is going to be authoritarian. It's going to right. be because I said so. Right. Because it's I rank, a, and it's and, rank and file. It's rank and file. And command. This is, and, right. Yeah. But that's not leadership. OK, the, it As can authority. be it can be leadership if it's channeled properly. Right. There are great commanders who are great leaders. Um, but when you look at, you know, so, so that's on an individual basis, um, investing in the lives of your leaders, giving them support and tools that they need, ensuring that you get positive feedback, you know, engaging in 360s evaluations, which we believe in here uh, and getting that feedback for myself. What do I need to improve on? And many of the times mm-hmm. the questions I ask, even in, in my evalu- yearly evaluations with senior leaders, mm-hmm. right, Rachel, is is there anything that we could be doing different are you happy here what is it going to take you know are is there anything that i'm missing here you know is there anything i could be doing different is there anything that you have a need for i've got to be in tune and that's where the servant comes in Mm -hmm. previously it would just be here it is you know, I'm getting a three, you're getting a two, and we move on. But I have to be, you know, we have to ask the questions. Is this the environment? And so that's that's number one. Number two, when you look at the organization as a whole, I firmly believe in the passage it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Mm-hmm. And it's a biblical phrase, but it rings true. If I don't set a vision forward, then this hospital will go under Right uh, and the vision, you know better encompass uh, uh, an initiative such as a growth strategy, and for us, my growth strategy has been really developing over the last four or five years and and we call them our pillars mm-hmm. and our pillars are looking at you know certain important areas that support the hospital people, growth, finance, quality, Service, all of those things, right? Mm-hmm. They're important to the operation of the hospital. Without one, you're not going to have the other. If you don't right. have good quality, you're not going to have good growth, and therefore you're not going to get paid, and you're not going to get any money. So your finance suffers. So right. all of these pillars have to be strong. Uh, they have to be, you know, equal in size, and we have to put our emphasis in every one of them. And that's very hard. So when we look across the continuum of healthcare, we have these pillars. I have to set and cast the vision. Right. What is the vision? Well, it encompasses our missions, our vision, our values. You know, all of those things are very important. Um, But what I look at is what I call my growth strategy, Mm -hmm. right? Right. And it incorporates as part of the growth strategy our strategic plan. What is our mission, vision, values? Strategic plan. um, What are our benchmarking? Where do we want to be? Um, All of that really folds up into the growth strategy. And what the growth strategy says is we are going to sustain this hospital for another 106 years. And here's how we're going. to do it. Mm -hmm. We're going to uh, be very robust in telemedicine. We're going to ensure that we're leading in quality. We're going to make sure that we purchase new service lines. We're going to look at other ways of serving healthcare outside the traditional walls of the hospital. Now, a leader who's just looking to be a leader to come in and be the CEO is a guy who sits in the chair and he knows all the old shtick. And it's going to be, all right, let's look at the, let's keep everything status quo. I don't do status quo. Get along
0: to get along, but not.
1: Because he'll have a job. Do something. Right. This is a risky business when you push change as quick and as fast as I push it. Mm-hmm. And you know that. Oh yeah. For the last year. Yep. And it causes people to get uncomfortable, scratch your head, you have to have tough discussions. You can't have certain people working for you. You have to have those difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. And so as Colin Powell says, it is hell. But you get through it and and the importance is is that you cast the vision. Mm -hmm. So if you don't put the vision out there, if you're just here to be the leader, if you're just here to go through the mundane, Monday through Friday shtick, you will lose long term. Because if you don't set that vision, pretty soon the people get weary. There is nothing that we're moving towards the mark towards and your organization ultimately fails. And this is what we see happen all around us. We get comfortable. So we put the frog in the boiling water. He jumps out. Right. Right. We put the frog in the water and turn the heat up slowly. What happens? The frog stays in and he dies. Right. OK. Now, that's the science lesson. <laughs> the principle of that is if we're all here in this environment, we never bring someone from outside the organization to tell us what we're doing that should be different. And we always just have done this for 100 years because that's what... No, we're in the boiling pot. Okay. Right. The heat's turning up and we're not going to do well. OK. What we know is and this is what makes us me successful as a leader, I don't rely on myself as the expert. I bring in outside consultants to advise me in certain areas. Um, I consult with our attorneys. I consult with our board. I consult with senior leaders who have the experience. And through that consensus building, then I'm able to look at my growth strategy in real perspective, cast a vision that the people want to follow, and then we win.
0: Right. So I think what's important for this in particular with rural health is that it can be very discouraging, right? Because of all the issues we've discussed on this podcast that make the healthcare environment in rural America very difficult. And I think a lot of people can get into that position where it's like, keep your head down and keep working, and you're just trying to survive. And it's difficult to have a growth mindset When you are so bogged down and just trying to survive and that kind of plagues the the rural healthcare industry. Right. So how do you keep yourself from getting into that kind of rut where you just can't even start to think about growth anymore? How do you keep yourself from getting into that position? Because you kind of have to, you know, make sure that you don't end up in that sort of just totally downtrodden, beat down. We're just trying to survive kind of mode.
1: You know, it's it's a great question. And um, much like you, I'm highly motivated uh, in wanting to see positive things come together. Mm -hmm. And much like you, uh, when they don't, we press on and we find two other things to be successful. Mm -hmm. And I don't, uh, when something is great that we accomplish, I don't rest with that. It's not like, oh, okay, we can all take a breather. You hear me in my s- senior leadership meetings, all right, we got 12 things going on. All right, I closed this opportunity up in this particular area. Right. We're not going to pursue a clinic up there. But here are five other things we're doing. Right, It's not defeat. It's not failure. It's actually just the opposite because we're recognizing, you know what, we had a plan that's probably not going to work out in that area. Let's be smart and let's divert our energy somewhere else. Um, so keeping my, my what we'd say, our sh- a saw sharp, mm-hmm. you know, it's, for me, it's, it's looking at uh, the industry. It's... It's talking to colleagues. It's looking at other industries uh, in healthcare who have certain service lines. How did they do it? You know, not just reinventing the wheel myself, looking at programs. All of those things have to fold up. And it's constantly, uh, constantly on my mind. I never come into work with just saying, all right, I need those. I'm not a task guy that says, all right, I have to get those three things done. I have a book. That's got my to do's. Right. Okay. then I've got my strategy book, which is all the things that I want to accomplish in new service lines, bringing in. And I'm making calls in between this task and that task. And Mm -hmm. I'm sending emails to this company and that company. And I'm forming committee meetings because I know we have to go in a 100 different directions here. Right. If we were to continue down just a one shot road of just keeping the hospital status quo. Just keep your head above water and that's good enough. You'll fail. Yeah. Mark Gross told us in our interview with him where there is no margin, there is no mission. Mm -hmm. So I first have to understand I got to make money. Right. Right. We are non-for-profit, but we have to have money because I have to reinvest that money into the infrastructure, into my people to make sure we're paying them fairly, to make sure we cover our costs because we're self-funded in insurance, and to Mm -hmm. make sure that we have money to purchase buildings and to purchase practices. That takes a business model. Right. So making sure our business model is in place. All of these things are so ever-changing. Though the government sets our prices, the government can change that overnight. We're faced with sequestration, the loss of 2%. Mm-hmm. Now what are we going to do? Where are we going to get that 2%? We're negotiating contracts with payers. Those payers may not want to pay us like they pay big hospitals. How do we survive that? We're looking at 70% of our payer mix is Medicaid, Medicare. How do we balance that with this community uh, and with what we need to survive as a hospital? How do we keep 300 days cash on hand when most rural hospitals are under 100 days? And even a friend not too far from here that's at two days cash on hand. Mm-hmm. We are, we're blessed in the capacities that we have operated, but we also have to recognize our growth strategy has to go beyond the walls of the hospital. Mm -hmm. So every day that I come into work, it is in prayer. Mm -hmm. It is surrounding myself with good people, have great ideas. It's checking myself at the door. It's understanding that this position doesn't define who I am. Mm -hmm. It's making sure that I understand every day, this is just mine temporarily. I'm not, it's not my permanent home. And when I say temporarily, do not be alarmed. I'm not leaving tomorrow. <laughs> twenty years could be temporary, right. if you consider right. it. Right? It right. really could be. I mean, we if have the
0: hospital's around for another hundred years. You're not going to be. It's two hundred and
1: twelve years. I had twenty of those years. I'm entrusted to it for a small blip of time, and so for me, I always have in the back of my mind never to settle, never just to say, "Well, we're done, Rachel. We got that big task done." No what other five tasks are we going to do now today's philosophy is that's not healthy right you shouldn't be you shouldn't be so task oriented and if covid taught us anything it taught us that we need to work less and not no that is not a business model for success and right. i'll argue that point there has to be a life balance. I fully mm-hmm. understand that. But the moment I give up and the moment that I rest on my laurels, the moment I sit back in the chair and wait for everything to unfold, mm-hmm. the industry surpasses me in weeks. Right. In healthcare, the industry will surpass me in weeks, Rachel. Mm-hmm. And so I have to be sharp and on my game all the time. I don't expect that there to be a J.J. Hachar wing at this hospital. That is not my goal. My goal is to ensure that we keep 500, nearly 500 people working every day. My goal is that we have a place where individuals who are sick and need health care can come and get it without traveling a far distance and risk their health care. Right. I want a place where we have 40 beds where seniors can come and rehabilitate or live here forever and we take care of them. I want a place where children could be born and taken care of here by their primary care the rest of their life. That is what I seek to do. It's not about me. It's not about who I am. It's about who we are as a hospital and what our mission, vision, and values are.
0: Well, on that note, I think uh, this discussion is over. (laughs) I think that that was a great way to end our episode today um, with that philosophy of what is the most important thing? Why are we here? What's really the purpose and keeping that as the focus? So, uh, JJ, thank you so much for joining us today on Rural Health Rising.
1: Well, thank you for the five-minute notice. You're welcome. It was great. You're
0: welcome. You know, I like off-the-cuff. I I know. You know, I think it's fun. It's uh, more, I I like more casual. I know. A little bit. So, Um, well, in the coming weeks and months, we are going to have more great discussions right here on the podcast. And if you or someone you know would make a great person for us to talk with, we want to hear from you. So shoot us an email at marketing at hillsdalehospital.com.
1: And we also want to get your feedback on this podcast. Which episode is your favorite? What do you want to hear more of? Who do you want to hear more of? Who do you want us to talk to? Uh, We have put a brief five-question survey up on RuralHealthRising.com so you can help us shape the future episodes of Rural Health Rising.
0: Yes, and it will take you less than five minutes to complete, so less than one minute per question. Nice. And as a reminder, we are collecting patient testimonials to be featured during our Voice of the Patient segment. If you have an experience to share about the positive impact you or your loved one has had as a patient at a rural hospital or health care provider, call our direct-to-voicemail line at 269 447-1265 447-1265 or email marketing at hillsdalehospital.com and share your story with us. You just might be featured on a future episode.
1: And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others while well, they should listen as well. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. You can also find us now on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO, JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach, and you can also follow us on the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong.
0: Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, hosted by JJ Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. For more episodes and more information, or to share your patient or family testimonial with us, visit RuralHealthRising.com.